This morning, please turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. In 2 Thessalonians, we'll start with verse 1. When the Apostle Paul was writing this second letter to the people in the church in the city of Thessalonica, he wanted to comfort their concerns. They had many concerns. And this was a church that was troubled and was suffering from persecution, as Pastor John talked to us about last Sunday. And Paul was concerned about false teaching that had crept in to the church community. And with all of this backstory, follow along with me as I read you today's text. Starting in verse 1 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord had already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction." He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so, so that he will set himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. In all the New Testament writings of the Apostle Paul, most scholars, and, and I would agree, that this is one of the most obscure passages in Paul's writings. Thanks to my partner in ministry, Pastor John Sanders, for giving me this scripture on Father's Day. <laughs> This is a classical scripture, a scripture text for people who are, have a special interest or even an obsession with identifying the man of lawlessness or some would call the Antichrist and an obsession or a special interest in eschatology or end time events. There are three primary views of the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist and let me give them to you as we begin this morning. The first, the most common view would be that Paul is talking about a future, a historical figure who will be revealed right before Jesus returns. That's the most common idea of who this man of lawlessness is. Another view would be that Paul's referring to the prophecy given by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. In verse 5 of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And the third common view is that Paul is writing about a rebellion. He's not writing about a man, but a general movement of people and not a specific person, and it's yet to be revealed in some future time. 
And this corresponds to what uh, the Apostle John wrote. And John explains that many antichrists have already come, he writes, and he sees that those who turn away from Jesus and rebel against the Lord, they're all antichrists. He says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and verse 22, he says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, and this is how we know it is the last hour. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist, and he denies the Father and the Son. This week, in many high-level theological and scholarly discussions with John, uh, we talked about this scripture, and there are two questions we ask, really two simple questions. As you read a passage of scripture as obscure as this, the first question we ask is, can we know? Uh, can we know with certainty who the man of lawlessness is or the Antichrist is? And the question, the answer to that question would be, maybe. Um, we might know partially. But, you know, the more I study this, the more I looked at this passage and other passages in the Bible, the more I try to study and know, the more I realize how much I don't know. You ever get to that place? And that's where, I, where I'm at today. Can we know with certainty? I say maybe. Probably not. Um, the second question that John and I asked was, should I care? If I, if I don't know, if I can't know, should I really care who the man of lawlessness is or the Antichrist? And and once again, an obscure answer, yes and no, sorry. Um, I don't think we can know with certainty who he is, or if he's already come, or if he really is a person or, or a movement. I would have to say this, yes, I do care about the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ. It'll be a great day. It'll be a victorious day for Christians all around. And no, I don't want to focus too much on the things that can't be known. I want to focus on Jesus. So to the disappointment of some today, I will not be revealing who the Antichrist is. <laughs> but there are some popular notions of who the Antichrist is over history. There are various Roman emperors and Mohammed, the popes, Martin Luther King, Napoleon Bonaparte, Kaiser Wilhelm, Adolf Hitler, Benito, Mussolini, Joseph Stalin, Nikita Khrushchev, Mikhail Gorbachev, his birthmark on his forehead would be the mark of the beast, people said. King Juan Carlos of Spain and Anwar Sadat, all of who were named as the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. More modern day uh, figures would be Henry Kissinger, President Jimmy Carter, President Ronald Wilson Reagan, President Barack Obama, and the newest one on that list is Mitt Romney, of course. And... Uh, out of that list, the most viable one that people would say would be the Antichrist would be, guess, Ronald Wilson Reagan. Count the number of letters in each of his first and middle and last names. 666, right. And then, if you were uh, around when he, the assassination attempt happened, that he was shot, and people said he died in, in, on national TV, and in the hospital he was revived again. Clearly signs. <laughs> you know, the sad history of unsuccessful attempts to identify the Antichrist suggests that any attempts that we might make today, tomorrow, next week, next month, will be no more successful. 
Most of the Christian bookstores, if you've been to those gift shops, those, those places with, that sell Jesus junk, and uh, most of the Christian bookstores have far more or less shelf space devoted to, uh, well, they have far more shelf space devoted to the latest books and novels and DVDs about the Antichrist and related subjects of the end time events than discipleship or Christology or Bible helps. I think it's a sad commentary of the consumer's interests and, and preferences today. The failed attempts at identification of who the Antichrist is reminds me of Paul's prediction. and He writes to Timothy in the second letter. He writes, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So should we be guessing at the identification of the Antichrist? I don't think so, because it, it's provocative, and it's intriguing, and it's, it's maybe interesting to some to watch Christian horror movies about the end-time events. The only horrific thing is their bad theology, really, in those movies. But I don't think it's helpful for you and I to, to try to identify this Antichrist. It's, it doesn't help you to grow spiritually or to mature spiritually at all. So with all of that comment, let's get to the text for today. How about that? This is what I would imagine a conversation that the Apostle Paul would have with this church. If, if it wasn't letters going back and forth, and certainly there was, Paul had some time to converse with this church, and perhaps a conversation, if he was there, um, would go something like this. He, he would, the, the Thessalonian church would say, Paul, how do we know that we haven't missed the second coming of our, of our Lord and our gathering to him? I mean, we can take this conversation perhaps from Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and the Thessalonian church would say that, and then Paul would say, well, have you seen the two signs? And the church would say, what, well, what two signs? And Paul would say, the first sign is the great rebellion, and the second is the identification of the man of lawlessness. And the church would say, no, we haven't seen that. And then Paul said, then, then you didn't miss it. Remember, don't just focus on the signs of the day of the Lord. Focus on Jesus. So here's the problem. Let's break out this scripture in, in just some sections. It's very simple to take a look at. The first we'll call the problem, and this is in verses 1 and 2. It says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Now evidently, sometime after receiving the first letter, 1 Thessalonians, some members of this church were very upset because they were persuaded that the second coming of Jesus Christ already took place. Now, the problem is the reason why Paul brings up this subject. Let's make no mistake. This is the reason why Paul writes about this. Now, it isn't clear how Paul found out that they were having this problem or what the origin of this false teaching was. It, Paul says some prophecy, some report, or maybe a letter that someone forged with my name. He says, maybe that's how you found out about it. So that's the problem. Let's take a look at Paul's response. Now, simply, Paul says, the day of the Lord had not yet arrived. That was their concern. Here was the response in verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, 
the man doomed to destruction. Now Paul writes about two things. He says, have you seen these two events? It's the rebellion, he calls it, and then the identification of the man of lawlessness. And these two could be one single event, the rebellion and this man of lawlessness, or they could be two, two separate ones. Now Paul doesn't write any more about the rebellion, but he does go on to explain or give descriptions of this man of lawlessness in detail. And so let's take a look at this. The description of the man of lawlessness, verses 4 through 10. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So we're getting some description of this man. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and, and now you know what's holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. So let's take a look at descriptions of this man of lawlessness or characteristics of this one. Number one, he is known as the man of lawlessness. Simply notice his name. Uh, we may infer from this that he is an individual person or that it's a movement that embodies rebellion in some way against God's law. It's, it's against God's law. We know that for sure because it's the man of lawlessness. Second is, his destiny is destruction. That's what Paul says. At the end of verse 3, notice that he's doomed to destruction. Some of your Bibles will translate this, son of perdition. His character is lawless, and his destiny is destruction. It's a, it's a clear warning for us, though, to be on guard from rebellion against God's law. Because any rebellion against God's law, his scriptures, God's word, Will lead, will lead us to destruction. So he's known as, by this name, his destiny is destruction. The third is, he will exalt himself. This is how we know who the Antichrist and the man of lawlessness is. He will exalt himself. The rebellion and the man of lawlessness will oppose God in all objects of worship except himself. He will exalt himself, Paul says, and then put, him, put himself forward as God. Historically, we, we have seen people and we have seen governments and religious movements claim that they are the one, that, that they are God. A, a, a man would say, I am God, and, and they would claim themselves to be God and not be God, and that would then be, he would be a man of lawlessness or an antichrist. As a means to the end, it says, Paul writes, he takes his seat in God's temple, which I think means the church, because Paul, in three times in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and Ephesians chapter 2, and in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that the temple of, of, of God is the church, and that he may become some sort of this man of lawlessness, he may become some sort of world church leader. And so these are things to look for, as Paul is saying to this Thessalonian church, these are the descriptions of the man of lawlessness. Fourth is, he is being, currently being restrained. 
okay? So he's not revealed, he's not out doing his thing. He's being restrained now, he tells the Thessalonian church. In verses 6 and 7, the man of lawlessness is being restrained until his appointed time. Now, the man is not in control. God is in control. And there will be an appointed time, and that appointed time will be very brief. Now, who or what the restrainer is, we don't know. Paul says, tells the church, you know who the restrainer is. But ultimately, it is the power of God that sets at times and seasons for the last days. Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, he says, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. You know, in my observations of this passage of Scripture, in this text, the description of, of man of lawlessness, I, I think as you read this, if you just read it for, for just an observation, you get the idea that Paul knew who this man was, don't you? And you get the idea that there have been some conversations that Paul had about the rebellion and about the man of lawlessness. He says to the Thessalonian church, just like what we talked about before. Now remember the reason why Paul was writing this. Why was he writing this? Because the church was concerned that the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ, already took place. Now, he wanted to address the present concern of this church. And if he was trying to comfort or encourage that church, why would Paul write about some guy, some antichrist, some world power, thousands of years in the future, if he was trying to comfort them at that time? Do you see where I'm getting at? So I think Paul knew uh, who this man of lawlessness was. I think the church had an idea, and he was just describing this man. Paul was writing to comfort this church, um, and he was trying to tell this church, this is what is going to happen. And although the church was suffering from persecution, Paul warns them of a great rebellion led by the man of lawlessness. And the church will be encouraged, I, Paul's thinking, that, that this is going to take place, but God is in control. Now, I do think that when Paul has this idea who the man of lawlessness is, I think the church understood who it, who it was. And I think perhaps as you read this text, you could see that Paul was probably referring to the Roman emperor as the man of lawlessness in the Roman Empire as the the great rebellion that rises up in later days. Number five, the, the fifth description of the man of lawlessness will be he will be destroyed quickly. In verse eight, we read that soon after he appears, the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy the splendor of his coming. Now, it's sort of this one word, just one, one breath, one puff of air in the mouth, through the mouth of Jesus and the man of lawlessness will be destroyed. And this was meant for encouragement and for confidence for this church. And the sixth description is simply this. He is not Satan. He is not Satan. In verse 9, the man of lawlessness is not Satan, but comes with the energy and the power of Satan and with supernatural counterfeit miracles and supernatural signs and wonders. And this is a warning not to make signs and wonders the foundation of our faith or the criterion of any truth that we would believe. And all these signs and wonders are counterfeit, not because they don't have power. They have plenty of power, the power of Satan, 
um, but they don't point to the truth. They, they lie. And they are no more to be trusted than the spirit of prophecy that we read about in, in verse 2, this report or this, this false, uh, a forged letter by, by Paul. The last thing I want to bring to you is, is this last two verses in our text for today, this focus of the, uh, loving the truth and believing the truth. In verses 11 and 12, Paul writes, They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. The Apostle Paul writes here that those who refuse to love the truth will not listen to anyone who even lovingly tries to point them to the truth. And these people are directing their lives away from God's law or God's love in the truth, and they'll ultimately end in destruction. Now this opens the door for the ultimate delusion. They will believe what the scripture here calls the lie. Now literally, it's the lie. The lie was found from the very beginning, and the lie was found in the Garden of Eden, and it's been in the world ever since. And the lie says this, that you could be God, that you can take control of your own life, and that you could run your own life, and that you could do whatever you want to do. And that is the lie. And that's what people everywhere today believe. The lie, says the apostle, will become a worldwide condition under the influence of a movement of rebellion by a man we're calling the man of lawlessness. It's, it's humanism, the worship of humanity in its ultimate form. Now I want to leave you today with just two encouragements from, from this text, from today's text. And the first encouragement is this. It's this word peace. That God is in control of any rebellious movements and rebellious people in this world. That we can have peace. That even though there is widespread rebellion in other countries, and even in our world, maybe in your workplace, maybe even in your family, that there is rebellion, take heart and have peace because God is in control of any rebellious movements or rebellious people that are present in your life. The second is not just peace, but we can have confidence. We can have confidence. And the confidence is this, that in the end, God wins and that we're part of that winning team. But I, I want to just close with this and maybe perhaps we'll, I would say this. This is perhaps the most important thing I, I would have to say today. That no doubt there's some of you, maybe one of you, in a crowd this size there are some of you, who are asking yourself, where am I at spiritually today? On this Father's Day, maybe someone brought you on their arm and said, please, come to worship today with me at Nova. And I would have to ask you, how are you doing spiritually in your life? And do you have peace that God is in control of rebellion all over the world, maybe even rebellion in your own life? Do you have that peace and do you have confidence that at the second coming of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, that you'll be on that winning team. That when you meet Jesus face to face, 
that you'll have that peace and that you'll have that confidence. And if, that's, if this is you today that you don't have this peace and that you don't have this confidence today, my encouragement to you is that today you cross the line of faith. Today's the day of your salvation. And perhaps today's the day that you're saying, God, it's, it's true. I've been far away and, and now it's time for me to come home. Perhaps today's the day where you receive the free forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers by his death on the cross. That all of your sins in the past and all the sins of today and all the sins of tomorrow and in the days coming forward are all forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That he died in your place. And if that's you today, if you say, I want that, I need that, that's all you need to say in your heart right now as I'm talking. Just in your heart and in your mind, you say, I want to trust Jesus Christ today. I want that peace. I want that confidence. And if that's you today, make today your day of salvation, a day that you say, I will trust Jesus Christ. And that's all you need to do in your heart. But the other thing I'd like for you to do is inevitably, like I said, you probably came on the arm of somebody. You, probably someone invited you here today. The thing I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to tell that person, hey, when, when Dean was talking at the end and he said, just in your heart, just say, I trust Jesus Christ, tell the person you came with today that you said that in your heart. That was your prayer. I trust Jesus Christ. I accept his free forgiveness. I realize that I don't want to be in control of my life anymore. I want God to be in control of my life. Tell that person those words today on the way home. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand for the benediction. Well, may God bless you and may he keep you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, please present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In the name of God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, amen.